G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. It was strange because Maureen actually knew what was going on in churches and I had no idea what was going on. I said to her, they sing? And she goes, (laughs) yeah, they sing. And I'm standing up and all of a sudden I thought, wow, they sing. This is wonderful. I was freaked out, but I loved it. And I just enjoyed it. And we haven't stopped since. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I never tire of hearing how God can enter into the most desperate and seemingly hopeless situations and turn the whole thing around. And that has definitely been the case in the lives of Brian and Maureen. They'd been drug addicts for over 20 years when they decided they were sick and tired of being sick and tired and wanted to do something about it. But going to drug rehab had been unsuccessful in the past, so what would be different this time? We'll find out the amazing way God radically changes their lives as they have a chat with Eric Scatterbo in our Melbourne studios. And parents, due to the adult themes that will be discussed relating to an extremely traumatic childhood, today's conversation is not recommended for young listeners. Welcome to the program, Brian and Maureen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Glad to have you with us. And it is just wonderful how God has worked in your lives. But when it all started off, going all the way back to your childhood, things were very, very bleak. Yes, they were. Very much so. Okay, so we're going to get into that. But before we go any further, we just want to say, parents, if you're listening today, we are going to share what actually happened in Brian and Maureen's childhood. So we are going to be talking about some adult themes. So you might want to have your children in another room while you listen to today's program. Okay, Brian, going back to your childhood, one of the themes from your childhood is that you had an unsecure environment. But maybe we should back up and talk about why that was. What was your father like, even before you were born? Well, my father was a a chronic alcoholic, and he was a very violent alcoholic. He was messed up a lot, which is probably understandable, considering that his father came back from the Kokoda track during World War II, and that was the way that he was treated as a son, which progressed on to the way he treated me. Okay, and then what did your brothers act like? Well, my brothers were pretty uh, messed up as well. They were pretty violent, my older brother, what he'd like to do was, he was messed up, so he, he'd like to beat me a lot because he didn't know how to control things, and he was very scary, so he'd like to c- scare me a lot. And one of his favourite things to do was to um, tickle me and get me all ra- nice and relaxed and then slam my heels into the ground or the concrete just so he could get a laugh. So and, kind of a sadistic streak. Yes, very sadistic. Um, in our family, we weren't sure what was going to happen on any particular day what things were going to be like if we said the wrong words or anything like that. But I also um, had a middle brother, and he wasn't so bad. He was was a little bit messed up, but he was a lot nicer to me. On one particular occasion, (laughs) he stabbed me in the back with a pair of scissors. Oh, wow. So that didn't go to... Did you do something to set him off, or was Uh, this just random? Yeah, I believe I took his clag off him to um, do some um, cutting and pasting on our paper. And uh, he didn't like that idea, so he decided that he'd stab me in the back with his scissors. And luckily for me, he missed my spine. Oh, wow. 
So I was screaming and mother come in and uh, saw the scissors hanging out of my back. So then it was his turn for a beating. And you mentioned that your father was violent. So even before you were born, he was beating your mother and yes. two older brothers? Yes, so much so. So the general impression that I'm getting from hearing this and, and also reading uh, your testimony that you've written out is that it was an unsecure environment where you were walking on eggshells. You didn't know what would set somebody off, whether it was your father, your mother, your two older brothers. At any given moment, they could be violent and do something very terrible to you, like trying to bury you. Yes. Tell us uh, about that time. Well, yes, one day... Um my brother said to me, my older brother, he said to me, oh, come here. And um, so I really had to do what my older brother did because I was quite scared of him as well. And he decided that he was going to put me in a sack. So I hopped in the sack and then he said, all right. And um, he closed the sack and then he lifted me up and put me in a sleeping bag. And I thought, okay, all right, whatever you want to do, that's what we're going to do. And then he sat me beside on the ground and started digging a hole. And I'm stuck in the sleeping bag and um, I think he might have even kicked me a couple of times. I'm not too sure. And so, yes, he was digging a hole and he got to the bottom of the hole, which he thought was quite deep enough, and threw me in the hole and decided to start filling it in. Now, are you feeling, this is unbelievable, are you feeling the dirt starting to come on top of you? Well, I didn't actually, uh, the pressure of it, would I would have felt, but not actually the dirt because I was in a sack and a sleeping yeah, yeah. bag. Now, how old were you, Mom? I was roughly around the age of six years old, and I was just doing what I was told. So there was no way out of it. I was trapped. And, um, yeah, so he just kept filling in the hole and filling it in and filling it in. And I remember a bit of pressure, and I still had air, so it wasn't mustn't have been too much dirt by that particular time. And eventually I heard um, mum coming. And, um, well, thank my, goodness for that. <laughs> luckily for me that mum come along and said, what are you doing to my brother? And my brother said, I'm just burying my brother. Oh, mm -hmm. my goodness. And, um, yeah, so uh, she pulled me out. Of, he got me out of there, took all the dirt out, got me out of there, and then it was his turn for a beating. Oh, boy. <laughs> it was a sad statistic life, I suppose, when you think about it now, so, and I can laugh now. Yeah, but, but, it wasn't. but just thinking about it, you it was never horrifying. knew... You never could be safe, it sounds like. No, you, you just didn't know what was going to happen on any, any given day. I can't recall good memories of my childhood. I'm sure I must have some, but mm -hmm. I, I, I can't recall them. And then speaking of the beatings, yep. you had to pick out your own branch to get the beating with? Yes. Uh, my father would uh, make us pick up a branch from a tree, pick it off, and he'd give you 10 seconds to pick a branch. And in that 10 seconds, you had to make sure that you didn't pick one that was too thin or one that was too large. The worst part was that you had to get the leaves off because they really hurt the most. And then he would hold your hand while you were running in a circle and he would beat you with the stick until your legs bled. And that mm. was one of his favourite um, ways of discipline, but it was better than a punch in the face or the ribs. Hmm. So a sadistic streak from your father. Yes. And it sounds like that sadistic theme kind of went down to your older brothers as well. Yes, as well as my mother, because living with an alcoholic affects the the spouse, and my mother was a bit um, neurotic, and she was scared for her life and her well-being as well. Yeah, because she was getting beaten as well. Yes, she did. And then, unfortunately, things get worse. Yes, they did. I, um, I ended up being molested by a male, and I was raped by a female. 
and my brothers would always, my brothers knew, so they would tease me and they would use me for blackmail. So they, by getting me to blackmail me so they wouldn't tell mum because I was ashamed of what happened, they would make me beg on the streets for money. They would make me break into houses so we could, because I was the smallest. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to put myself in that situation. You're already a victim. I mean, you were abused. Yes. Feeling shame, which unfortunately, it's very common for abuse victims to blame themselves. Yes, most so definitely. And you, so you're all confused inside. Yeah. And then your older brothers were using that as leverage to get you to do crimes and bad things. Yes, they were. To, to break into houses? Yes, to break into houses, as I said, to beg for money, to do whatever they wanted me to do, I had to do. I was in so much fear of my brothers and of my mother finding out what was going to go on that I didn't know what to do. I just did what I was told to do. If I didn't do what I was told to do, I was going to cop another beating either way. So this went on for quite a few years, roughly till about the age of seven. And then life changed a little bit from there. What happened? Well, my mother ended up... Um, well, actually, luckily, one of my mother's friends found my father a girlfriend and he ended up going off with her, so he left us alone. We'd see him every now and then, but mum was allowed to see another boyfriend, so she started seeing another guy and he ended up becoming my stepfather. And he was all right? Ah. Uh, he was the best. He is the best father. I actually call him dad, and I don't call my real father dad. He's just done nothing but give me love. But unfortunately, within myself, I'd or the damage was done. The okay. damage was done. Wow. Now, Maureen, mm-hmm. yes. getting back to you, your childhood was the complete opposite, wouldn't you say? It definitely was. Yes, um, I was brought up. Brian's actually the youngest of three boys. I'm the youngest of three girls. Um, My mum and dad were married for 59 years. My whole childhood, I grew up in the same home, so we never moved around. Um, I had had all the security that Brian didn't have, Um, so they were all loving. Yeah, and you shared with me before we started to record that here we just heard Brian's horrendous childhood. Yep. And you had a relatively nurturing and healthy Mm. childhood, but yet both of you ended up as drug addicts. That's correct, yeah. So it doesn't sort of really, um, most people will think that, okay, you've had a traumatic childhood, you've turned to alcohol or to drugs to um, cover up that particular trauma in your life, whereas I didn't have that trauma. But even with the wonderful childhood I had, I still managed to actually become an addict. I I guess it's different ways that people come in. Um, yes, some it's to cover things. For me, it, at the time, it was just good. It was happy. It was fun. It was easy. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is having a chat with Brian and Maureen and finding out their stories. Next, we're going to hear how they both became drug addicts, but more importantly, we'll find out how the Lord enters their lives and turns the whole situation around. That and more when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. 
Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Brian and Maureen and finding out their stories. Before the break, we heard how they came from different types of childhoods. Brian's was horrendous and extremely dysfunctional, while Maureen came from a relatively healthy family life. But both of them ended up as drug addicts. Maureen shares how she went down that path. Um... Well, I, I actually found alcohol first, but um, alcohol was never a problem for me. I drink if I want to. You know, if I didn't want to, I didn't. Um, when it comes to drugs, it was, I guess, a crowd that I was hanging around with that all pretty much smoked marijuana. Um, and eventually it was like, well, do you want to try? Uh, I thought, oh, yes, well, why not? And you know, to begin with, you don't sit out and think that this is going to be my life. Um, yeah, nobody was, starts off saying, yes, I want to go down the path yeah, of becoming a drug wanna, addict yeah. and be completely dependent yes, on this. Yes, when I grow up, I want to be a drug addict. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. Um, it, and so for me, it sort of started out that it was nice and, and it made me feel good. It it sort of took me out of reality, gave me you know a chance to sort of just mellow out Um but you didn't have a big pain in your life that you were trying to no, medicate. No, I wasn't. And get away I, from. No, all I was for me, it was just pure enjoyment to start with. But um, you know, it doesn't take long to sort of head down the path that it suddenly becomes you're doing it all day, every day, as much as you possibly can. Wow! So it just grew. Yeah, and it grew very quickly. Um, and I think somewhere along the line, yeah, it, well, part of it was that oh, I'm stressed about this particular thing. If I go and smoke, then that stress goes away, or I'm worried about what I'm going to do, what I have to do, and you know, if I have this, that stress goes away. And it did become that in the end that mm. it was covering a lot of things that, as an adult you have to deal with um the stresses of life yeah the stresses of life and for me it was to you know turn to this and those stresses go away because you forget Mm. um you're sort of off in your own little world and and it's all forgotten but interesting you mentioned the phrase off in your own little world one of the things that both of you have said resulted from your drug addictions was isolation going off in your own little world Yes. You didn't want to see anybody. You just wanted to do the drugs. That's correct. Um, and even before I met Brian, um, I actually was living in a house on my own, and um, you know I would still smoke on my own. You know, don't answer the phone, don't have anyone knock at the door. I just want to be left alone. I'm doing this on my own, and you know I'm mm-hmm. quite happy. Life was good as far as I was concerned at that point in my life. But you were, as you know now, you were sinking. I was, yes, and it just, you, you do sink. They say, you know, you eventually hit rock bottom. And my response to that is, but I never realised it was actually concrete that you start to sink into, mm. and it just get, keeps getting worse and lower mm-hmm. and worse and lower, and and that's just the cycle it, it becomes. Okay. Now, meanwhile, Brian, yep. we heard about your childhood. Yes. So going from the confused childhood that you were in, that's, that's probably putting it mildly. Yep. Drugs was just uh, the next step in your life to try to medicate and yes, kill the pain. Is that yes. a fair statement? Um, it would be a fair statement. I didn't plan also to be a drug addict, but I was a drug addict and an alcoholic. I'd take um, pills and speed and other things as well. So I was also an IV user. I was quite into it. I got into anything and everything that I could get my hands on. Um, but yes, it was just self-medicating and 
It was fun at the start. That's just how everything starts off fun. You think it's fun and it's going to be all all good. But um, look, it just got horrendous. It just got worse and worse. I just I couldn't do anything without having drugs or alcohol in my system. It had to be one or the other. I love the feeling of just getting out. Why wouldn't I? From what I'd gone through, mm. and it just made me feel comfortable. So it just got worse and worse. I tried for years to stop, but I just couldn't for thirty four years. And then, how did you meet Maureen? Well, one night I actually met her at my auntie's New Year's party on New Year's Eve. and um, I worked with his aunt at the time oh, okay. and was invited to the party. We met through that, um, which, of course, was drinking. And the, we left the party and went elsewhere to somewhere else and where we began smoking marijuana together as well. And that was it. We basically, the isolation became, mm-hmm. the two of us isolated in our home, in our own four walls, just kind of staring at each other and see who's going to crack first, you know. You go into the bottle shop or am I, you know, and mm-hmm. who are we going to go and score drugs from someone, you know. Are you going to ring your contact? Am I going to ring mine? And just, just, you know, iron each other off to see who was going to crack first. So what finally happened? Well, what happened was we ended up, um, we'd both had enough. We'd um, tried to stop previously, but it didn't work. And I'd been through, I'm on my eighth detox now. So this is the eighth attempt I've had at it. But it was that we become so sick and tired of being sick and tired of doing the same thing. And we knew that there was something better out there for us. So we both decided to go after detoxes. Well, that's fantastic. Maureen, what started it all? Well, Once um, I went to the detox, um, I wasn't satisfied with what I'd learnt. Um, So I actually went back for a second go uh, in the same month and I actually left that detox with a list of things for us to do every day to get out of the house, to get to meet people, talk with other people. So you were serious. This is going to be the yeah, time. We're, th- we're we have, Yeah, we've tried in the past and it hasn't worked this time, you know, and we're getting older. It's like, you know, I don't want to keep doing this. We've got to find things. So we attended Alcoholics Anonymous. We attended Narcotics Anonymous. We did uh, things such as peer group support, which is other people, you know, who are addicted to something and in recovery, every helping pro- us. Every program um, known to man, we tried. Yeah, <laughs> so we even actually attempted meditation at a Buddhist temple just to sort of calm our own mind. None of that worked, um, and we happened to be at an AA meeting in Mooney Ponds, which is at the Salvation Army Church, and I saw a flyer that said they do recovery church. And I said to Brian, I said, oh, well, why don't we give this a try? You know, some of the other things aren't working for well, us. Well, well, Brian, what did you think of that? Well, me coming from a non-religious family, I think my first words were, yeah, if hell freezes over, I'm going to church. <laughs> Weren't exactly enthusiastic about the whole idea. Not at all. It took her about three goes to get me to do it, but we agreed that we would try new things out, so I did. I tried so, it out. We did actually end up going, and they're a lovely group of people at the Salvation Army there. They actually provide you a meal at 6 o'clock and then the service at 7. So we, our first time we avoided the meal and went straight to the service. When we got there, the only seats left were at the front row. And not where you wanted to be? No, I'm sort of thinking this is probably not the best idea for someone who hadn't been to church before for Brian. Um, but we went. Had no idea what to expect. <laughs> so we went and we sat down in the front row and, of course, you know, they opened up and said, oh, okay, we're going to – this is our first song. We're going to get up and sing. And 
I'm sitting there thinking, oh, we're in the front row. They're about to sing. How long is it going to take before he walks out and has to walk down the aisle past everybody and he's out of there? But he didn't. He actually got involved and, um, yeah, we stayed through the whole service. It was strange because... Maureen actually knew what was going on in churches, and I had no idea what was going on. Because you went to the yeah, church I was as a child, Catholic, yeah. So yeah. I did know that, and yeah. so I had no idea. And I said to her, "They sing." She goes, "Yeah, they." You didn't sing. even know that. No, you had never been to any kind no, of a church. No, just wow. christenings and baptisms and stuff like that. And it wasn't many. And so I said, "They sing," and she goes, <laughs> "Yeah, they sing." And I'm standing up, and all of a sudden, I thought, "Wow, they sing. This is wonderful." Oh, you liked it? Oh, I was freaked out, but then I loved it at oh, the wow. same time. It was a really weird feeling, hmm. and I just enjoyed it, and we haven't stopped since. Wow. Mm. Love it. Wow. And the recovery church is based, obviously, at addicts, and it could be any type of addiction, mm-hmm. maybe even gambling or anything like that, uh, and their service is slightly altered away from a normal Sunday service, but it based at people who are in recovery to get you so to think whole, about more yeah. about yourself and the whole where you're going. The focus is for helping people recovering from any type yeah. of addiction. Yeah. Yes. And as we said, you know, isolation, a lot of people are in isolation, mm-hmm. so they'll yeah. give you different ideas, different tools to work with, um, you know, fear, what does fear mean, how do you get courage? So they work with us in what things we actually need yeah. um, as recovering from something support structures mm-hmm. having good having good friends around you having strong friends around you getting rid of your old friends um, everything's just nothing but encouragement there and I recommend it to any anyone that's going through addiction it's it's changed our lives it's changed me from being a, a thief a liar a womanizer from hating people to loving people to caring about people to not stealing I don't steal anymore I am so proud of myself <laughs> um, I try not to lie anymore it's changed I've changed from Jekyll to Hyde or Hyde to Jekyll whichever way it goes <laughs> <laughs> can't remember myself but we get the idea that's yeah. fantastic and it's made a very big difference and um, from our past tries of giving up there was always a problem that eventually we'd go back into the cycle. Mm, This time around, life has been so much different. Being part of the church and having that community and that support has made so much difference that, I mean, I won't say I don't think about it at times. Obviously, it's always going to be in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. That was my life for, well, for me, it was 29 years, but it's not really something I need to entertain anymore. Mm -hmm. It's a fleeting Mm -hmm. thought. It's gone and Mm -hmm. life goes on. And if I had any real issues, a lot of the Salvation Army staff are quite willing to to take calls and, you know, help you through. Oh, that's fantastic. Whatever's going on at that moment. Mm. And so both of you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. And so now you're doing a lot of new things. One new thing that you're doing, I'm assuming this is something you never did before. Correct. You're writing poetry. Yes. Can you please share with us your poem? Okay. So I've called this Don't Give Up. Once I was lost and never wanted to be found, as I prayed to end up in the ground. I love that feeling of being down. It made me feel sound. The enemy had me by the throat. He was driving the show by slowly destroying my spiritual growth, really hitting a sour note. So praise the Lord, for then on one fine day, Jesus came and totally devastated and blew the enemy away. 
because the Lord intervened and had the final say and put the devil far, far away, where now he knows the Lord has the final control of my new, loving, caring soul. So praise the Lord and ask him to stay. Invite him in and let him lead the way. You only have to pray and he will give you hope each and every day. Amen. 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 That is fantastic. Thank you. And that's just one. You have a whole notebook there full of Yes, I think I'm about up to 25 now. And um, One night it just happened to me, 3 o'clock in the morning, I get this message of write this down. And I'm like, are you Mm. crazy? What's going on here? Had you ever done anything like that before? No. Would I even attempt something like that? No, no way. And one poem led into another and another, and they just come to me every now and then. So, yeah. So this is just the outflowing of your new life in Christ. Yes. I believe it's helping me. It's God talking to me, helping me through my poetry, and one day maybe I can make a book. I don't know. Who knows? Whatever's possible. Anything is possible, no? Yeah. The sky's the limit. It is. With God on your side. The Bible says that all the angels in heaven rejoice when one person puts their faith in the Lord, but here we have two people Mm. in desperate situations putting their faith in the Lord, and we just want to say, glory, hallelujah. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, I encourage both of you, keep on doing what you're doing, pressing into the Lord, putting your faith in Him, Mm. and continuing to write those poems. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Yep. That's great. Thanks so much for sharing your stories with us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yes. Well, what an incredible story of God entering into a seemingly hopeless situation. Not once, but twice, and turning the whole thing around. Fantastic. You know, sometimes we can get a bit complacent and casual about our relationship with the Lord and forget what a miracle worker He is. But when you hear an incredible story like Brian and Maureen's, it reminds us of how truly awesome He is and how powerful He is to radically change lives for the better. As Corey Ten Boom once said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. He can reach down and pull up anybody out of the deepest pit of despair and place them on higher ground. And if you heard something today that has stirred something in your heart and you'd like someone to pray with, our prayer line is 1800 Pray for me. That's 1800 772 936. We'd love to pray for you at 1800 772 936. Well, thanks for joining us for Brian and Maureen's incredible story of recovery and restoration. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I had an um, interesting political career which was rising well in the um, mid 1990s, but everything went wrong when I very foolishly told a lie in the course of a civil lawsuit. And I was caught out and was sentenced to what amounted to a seven-month jail sentence. So I crashed from a very great height to a very low depth. Jonathan Aitken is a former member of British Parliament and was once a rising star in British politics in the 1990s. However, he was caught up in a scandal and suddenly his career came crashing down. Fortunately, he became a Christian while in prison and will share his remarkable story next time. 